Well, welcome King's Church. So glad you have joined us today wherever you are. If you're online, all the online people want to welcome you. If you're at a home church today, we welcome you. Watch parties if you're out there. We got folks uh, in Halifax gathered together today in Charlottetown. We got people on the west side in St. John. It's hard to say west side and not do that if you're from the 90s. You just can't do it. Uh, we got people at the Valley location, wherever you are gathered, uh, it is just such a good thing to be together as the house of the Lord. Amen. Hey, today, if you have a Bible, go ahead to Revelation chapter 6. We're continuing on in our series, uh, our teaching series in Revelation, and we're going to do a deep dive today, and I'm going to ask you to lean in, take notes, and open your minds and your hearts to what God, the Spirit, might be saying. And I thought Pastor Seth said something so great last week when he said, you know what, God wants childlike faith, but he doesn't want us to have childlike maturity. And we believe that God has been calling our church to grow up a little bit. And part of that is by renewing our minds. And I think God wants to speak to us today through Revelation 6 and cause us to see some things that my prayer is, you know what, I don't think at the end of this message anybody's going to have to come to the altar or maybe lay down prostrate prostrate in the kitchen or whatever. But I think you might have a, a lens put on today that my prayer is never comes off. And that you begin to see something about the world and something about Jesus that changes everything for you. The title of my message today is this, Welcome to the Real World. Welcome to the Real World. If I had a backup title, I'd call this the Five Horsemen of the Apocalypse. The five horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, some of you are already running ahead. You're galloping ahead on those horsemen. You're saying, five, isn't there four? We'll get to that in a minute. But have you ever had a moment a welcome to the real world moment. You ever have one of those moments where like reality came crashing through your delusions? I think most of us, if you've lived more than 20, 30 years, you've had a moment where your delusions or deceptions or beliefs were just smashed by the raw weight of the truth. A welcome to the real world moment. In fact, maturing and growing older actually comes with that. It comes with the territory. I remember when Melanie and I, when she was pregnant for our daughter, Ava, this was some 12 years ago. We were new parents. Any new parents remember the the welcome to the real world of parenting? And all of the delusions you had just days before the baby arrives. I remember Melanie and I saying things like, we're going to invite baby into our world. And we're gonna, she's going to schedule her life around us. We're not going to run around her little schedule. She's going she's gonna to be you know, potty trained by the time she's seven months old and walking by the time she's eight months old. It's going to be perfect. And then the baby comes and right? Welcome to the real world. Reality crashes in where you're fighting for 40 full minutes of sleep and you're just hanging on by a thread. Any new parents who are right there right now, you know what I mean. There's, there's a dose of reality we get as we mature. I, I saw a video not too long ago online. It, it cracked me up because it was, it was a kid getting a welcome to the real world moment. Check this out. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, this first check. First check ever in life, boy. Gonna see what it do. Hey, wait, wait, we ain't gotta say how much it is, man. See his face when you open it up, man. Wait, 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 wait Jojo. How's it feel opening up this first check, man? Oh, come on. I love huh? to open it up. All right, man. All right, all right. What's your just You need this. He really don't. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because he was expecting to me. <laughs> Why your face like that, Jojo? It's probably the taxes. It's probably taxes. <laughs> Who would you expect it more? Because you're 18. Jojo, would you so expect sorry. it more? How much is it? Jojo, <laughs> where you going? How much did y'all get? Oh yeah, they took out taxes, Joe. Welcome oh. to the world. What? <laughs> Joe. Yeah. Where you going, man? It's it's a part of life. Ooh, you mad? He <laughs> the dad is such a savage. He knew it was coming. He walked him right into it. Welcome to the world, Joe. Uh, it's just funny. Those of us who have been there, remember your first check and you've got in your mind, okay, I make this much an hour and I work this many hours, therefore it's going to be this much money. Welcome to the real world. Taxes. We've all had those moments. It really is incredible the things we'll believe. And the things that we'll just assume, maybe, or the things that we come to believe and we don't really know why, and then the truth can come crashing in and absolutely burst our bubble. It's interesting that those of us who have lived in the real world, that we live in a time where people think that they're, they're saying that truth is relative, that it, it's more about how you feel, but, but the real world and real truth actually has a way of asserting itself upon you, whether you like it or feel it or not. There are moments and times in life where the real world comes crashing in and bursts our bubbles. Welcome to the real world. And today, as we continue in our journey through the book of Revelation, we come to what I would want to describe to you as a welcome to the real world moment. A moment where God, through sovereign appointment, bursts the bubble of delusion in so many of us. This is where we arrive today. Now, really quick, before we jump into the text, I want to give a recap so that we're all up to speed because we know there's people joining our community or maybe you're watching on YouTube or Facebook today and you're just jumping in. It's important that we kind of catch you up to speed on what we've learned in the book of Revelation. We've learned some things about this book and how to interpret it. We've learned that there's no more confusing book out there than the book of Revelation, but ironically, the book was actually given for the purpose of clarification, not confusion. We learned that the, the book, the word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means unveiling. That God actually gave us this book, this, this, in, this book full of images and instruction. He gave it to us so that we could see things that we aren't currently seeing. The big premise and the big idea of the book is this, that things in this life are currently not as they seem. And that there's more to see than you are currently seeing. And it starts with seeing Jesus. And as you see Jesus, you're going to see everything differently. And this is what we've been going through for months now as we've been studying this mysterious and yet powerful book called Revelation. We found out as well that this book was never meant to incite fear and terror, but on the contrary, it says early on that, that God gave John this revelation, and John gave this revelation to the church to give us grace and peace. And so we've been looking at it through that lens. God, what are you trying to show us that we aren't currently seeing? And what is it that you want to encourage us with? What is it that you want to speak to us that brings peace to us? And so we've learned these things, and we've learned one other very important thing about this book before we jump in, because we're going to get into some really gnarly and wild imagery beginning today, and it just ramps up as the days and the chapters unfold. But we have learned that the book of Revelation is a type of literary form known as apocalyptic. Everyone say apocalyptic. 
Come on in the chat, apocalyptic. What apocalyptic is, is using word pictures to actually communicate a deeper truth. Now, we, we, know what, we know what word pictures are and we know how they can communicate deeper truths. We do it through poetry or song or through comic books. However, this uses a type of imagery to speak a deeper truth. Now, what has happened oftentimes because we don't have a, a cultural equivalent of apocalyptic literature The church and Christians for for centuries now have made the mistake of trying to decipher these images as though they are to give us a place and a time and a way to a mystery that God is not actually trying to give us. And in fact, this book has been given to speak a very real, very true encouragement that is true, we believe, now and forever. This book was never meant to be some secret code that only applies for us someday, But if it truly is the word of God, we believe that Jesus was and is and is to come. We believe that prophetic words are living and active. That means they were true, they are true, and always will be true. And so we're looking at the book of Revelation through that lens. We're saying, God, what are you saying that that was true when you wrote this, when you gave John the revelation? What are you saying that is true to us right here in 2020 in, in North America? And what are you saying that is going to be true on the day that this comes in its fullness? And so it's very important that we have this in mind as we start into Revelation chapter 6 today because you need to know that if you're reading this book with kind of focusing in on the details and trying to imagine what this actually is, you might be missing the whole point. We we talked about missing the forest for the trees a few weeks ago. And so we come to Revelation chapter 6. And Revelation chapter 6 today confronts the mother of all human delusion. It confronts the false hope and the lie that is at the heart of all human and all world suffering and destruction. It confronts a delusion that you and I are all prone to, and it gives us a glimpse to the truth that is beyond the veil of what is seen. And so we're going to dive into some apocalyptic literature and imagery. Are you ready? All right, Valley is ready. Here we go, Revelation chapter six. It tells us in verse one, it tells us John watched as the images unfolded. And I saw, I watched as I saw the lamb. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. And then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. Now let's just pause here for a moment to catch everybody up to speed. Now, what's the lamb? What's the seals? What's the four living creatures? What's going on there? Well, if you weren't with us, you might have missed. Again, these are images. Now is not the time to, to envision a little lamb in your mind. That is not the point. We learned who's the lamb? Jesus. The, the answer is Jesus. You're in church. The lamb is Jesus. And that, that's, what, that's what that represents. And it's Jesus that holds the seven seals. We learned about a scroll with seven seals. And the scroll with seven seals represents the title deed to creation. The scroll with seven seals is the blueprint to creation. It's the great story of creation. It, is, it represents the authority of God for the unfolding of all things. That's what the scroll represents. And it was sealed seven times, perfectly sealed up. Who is able to open the scroll or even look inside? We looked at that a few weeks ago and we found out only Jesus is capable and able to look inside and has that type of authority. And then we find out the four living creatures are a picture of creation, the four winds, the four corners of the earth. And so here we come and it says, one of the four living creatures in a loud voice like thunder says, come. Now in the original, some of the original manuscripts, it actually says, come and see 
which is the central invitation of the book of Revelation. The invitation of the book of Revelation is look, look, see, see, come and see. And as this begins to unfold, we get this invitation, come and see, have a look. And what is about to unfold, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago, is what is known as the Great Tribulation. Now, if you're with me, you learn that although this is a scary prospect and it is going to be wild and, and intense, the purpose of the tribulation is to get the hell out of here. Remember that sermon? That's the purpose of tribulation, where God, he, he comes in in justice and in judgment, and he rids creation of sin, Satan, death, and hell, and all those who want that. And so we find the tribulation begins, and here we go. Here's what happens. And I looked, verse 2, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode it out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. And so this, this picture begins to form. This imagery begins to form as, as the first seal is open. As the lamb, as Jesus opens the first seal, a rider comes forth on a horse. Now let's break down what this might be trying to interpret. Now I know we have a painting. This is done like a, a 19th century Russian painting. It's really cool. But it means much more than just picturing a horse on a rider. There are clues in here as to what God is trying to say to the church. Now, first and foremost, he's riding a white horse. The white horse is a horse of victory. The white horse is a horse, of course. I just don't know why I had that in my mind. It's a horse of victory, a horse of conquest. In John the Apostle's day, the, the Roman conquerors, the Caesars, would ride white horses. It was a horse of valor, of esteem, of victory. This was a distinguished horse, a noble horse. And the rider is noble. We're told that the rider had a crown. He was distinguished. This represented political power. This represented sociological power. And so we find out this rider comes out. He rides out on a horse. He's moving forth with distinction and a crown. And it tells us that he was a conqueror. He came out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now at this point, we aren't told whether it's negative or positive, just that he is this beautiful, brilliant conqueror coming out and that he has a bow. And now a bow represents a few things. The bow is a weapon, of course, but it's much more than that. A bow was a tool, and in fact was a, was a technological advancement that could actually extend the reach of a human being to accomplish a purpose. It represents technology. It represents human achievement and advancement. Now, what is this trying to give us a picture of? Stay with me. Now, I, I know this is going to take some work today. We're going to do the deep dive. This is a picture of the pinnacle of human accomplishment and power. This first rider, now some people have interpreted him as Jesus. I assure you, he is not Jesus. This is humanism. This is the, the rider that represents the best of humanity, the most powerful of military might, the most brilliant of technological advancement, the most incredible of political prowess. This is what this rider represents. In their day, they would have, they would have thought of the Caesar. In our day, you know, I was thinking, what, what's kind of a cultural equivalent? And I was reminded of the day that I was sitting on a beach in California near San Diego where there are massive military bases. And right out off the shore was one of the biggest aircraft carriers I've ever seen. In fact, come to think of it, the only aircraft carrier I have ever seen. 
and coming and going off the aircraft carrier, fighter jets and Apache helicopters and Harrier jets, just the most incredible display of human power. Have you ever seen just something that makes you go, whoa? That's what this writer represents. Human conquest. Awe-inspiring. But the vision unfolds and goes forward. So you got it? The first rider represents conquest. To go and conquer something. We aren't told that it's bad or negative. Maybe he's trying to conquer injustice or conquer inequity or conquer anything. We don't really know other than he, this human being, this ruler, is set out to conquer. Now watch what happens next. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, come and see, look. And then another horse came out. It was a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a sword. Now this is starting to unfold. It's starting to ramp up. Now let's break it down. What's, what's this picture of? Now things are getting more intense as this second rider comes forth. We find the horse is no longer white and distinguished. It's red. Maybe it's fired up. Maybe it's covered in blood. We aren't really told. We just know what red represents. And we're told that the rider has a sword. Now, a sword isn't so much something that extends our reach. A sword is something that cuts and divides, isn't it? A sword is something that stabs and prods. That's what a sword's utility is. And we find out that he came out on the heels of the conquering horse, and he starts to actually cause people to turn against each other and kill one another. What happens is it goes from conquest to conflict, where we see this human conquest all of a sudden turns into warfare, violence, a loss of peace. Did you see that? Given power to take peace from the earth. That means nations are turning against nations, families against families, husbands against wives, brothers against sisters. Peace is going and conflict is on the rise. Let's keep going. And then it tells us, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. Now, I know this is getting a little bit mysterious, but, but bear with me. It's painting a picture that is going to start to unfold some things for you. What's happening? Well, we, thought, we know now it goes from a white horse to a red horse to a black horse, a dark horse. Now, have you ever seen blood after it is coagulated? It turns brown. It turns black. Have you ever seen something when the light goes out? It turns black. We see this loss of life, this loss of light that starts to come in. And it also represents the passing of time. But more mysterious is who is this rider and what are these scales all about? Well, these scales represented how he was measuring certain things. And really, we get a clue with what the creatures say. Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. Six pounds of barley for a day's wages. These were basic materials for human beings to eat. This is potatoes. This is a basic living wage. And what they're saying is, on the heels of the conqueror rides out conflict. And behind conflict, something else begins to rise. Famine, inequity, inequality. 
you start to see the living wage. There's a wage gap rising. Look what it says. There are some who can't afford, they work all day and they can't afford a meal. And there are others who are saying, hey, but don't touch the oil and the wine. Oil and wine represented rich materials. This is a picture. These scales are a picture of a widening gap between the rich and the poor, that there are some who have everything and most people who have nothing. And it's getting worse. The rich get richer and the poor get, yeah, the poor get poorer. And so it's starting to unfold this picture. You're starting to see this human conquest comes out on the first horse. Behind this first horse follows conflict, strife, a loss of peace, war. And behind war, you start to see oppression. People in power begin to take advantage of those who don't. People are greedy and they start to take more for themselves and leave those others with less. Now let's go to the fourth horse. Hopefully this is starting to click together and you're, you're hearing the hoofbeats. They're riding together in tandem. These are all connected. Look what it says. And then when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come, come and see, come look. And I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Now the word pale in the Greek is a, is a word where we get the word like chlorine, chloros. And it, it actually represents like greenish, yellowish, dead kind of, you know that, you know this color of Javex? That's the color. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and, and, the, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now, now what's happening? You're starting to see this progress all the more. There's a continued progression of devastation. You go, from, you go from the white horse of conquest to the red horse of conflict to the black horse of oppression. And now we're getting famine, disease, environmental devastation is beginning to unfold. Are you seeing the correlation? You're seeing this kind of roll out. You're seeing this kind of happen. You should be noticing a couple things with this picture of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. As the lamb opens the seal, what begins to happen? Conquest, human conquest begins to ride out. And behind conquest, we see conflict. And behind conflict, as division and, and war and, and accusation and bitterness rises up. You start to see inequality and oppression rise up. Is this sounding familiar? And then behind inequality and oppression, where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, and there are so many people that have not, you know what follows? Poverty, famine disease, pandemics. So you should be hearing a couple things or seeing a couple things in your mind as we unfold this. This is not just something that is going to happen ultimately someday. This is a pattern and a principle about what we are experiencing right now. And this has been true of human history since day one. This should sound very, very, very familiar. Very recent. We're seeing the effects of human conquest right now. We're seeing political conquest. There has never been more division than there is right now, I would dare say. There's never been a widening wage gap like there is perhaps right now, I would dare say. We're seeing technology have unbelievable effects on us right now, aren't we? Did anybody, like Pastor Seth mentioned last week, The Social Dilemma, watch that documentary. We're seeing the, the negative effects of human progress. 
Human conquest and human progress ultimately leads to conflict, inequity, inequality, oppression, depression, poverty, suffering, violence, disease, and death. This is what you see right out in Revelation chapter 6. And this sequence has been happening since the day sin entered God's beautiful, perfect creation. It has been the same thing over and over. It is an unalienable fact without exception. The greatest and most noble of human intentions toward progress always end up the same way. Destruction, war, conflict, famine, poverty, disease, and death. It's the same old story and the same old cycle. Even our best examples of human ingenuity and human civilization have all fallen. Every single one of them. And I would dare say, and with all due respect to our American friends, I would dare say America, probably the greatest civilization that has ever happened in human history is fracturing. It will be the first to not break. Doesn't matter the means of the conquest, the ends are often and always the same. Political conquests often end in more division. You know what's going to happen in November after the election? If Trump wins, riots in the streets. Do you know what's going to happen in November if Biden wins? Riots in the streets. Sounds familiar. We're seeing it with technology. We're seeing it with ideologies. Think about this. You think about just a few years ago, the, the radical push for inclusion, the radical push to be all-inclusive. And now those who are crying for inclusion are now crying to exclude certain groups. You're seeing it deteriorate. You're seeing, you're seeing even within the LGBTQ community, them not getting along. Ask a feminist about transgender. Ask her. You're seeing Antifa, the ones that were against fascist oppression, which we all should be, now using fascist tactics to fight back. It's the same old cycle, the same old junk, the same old garbage. Human beings, because we are broken, when we get power, we lead us to more brokenness. That's what happens. Here's what I believe Revelation is wanting you to see today. And this is my simple point. And I'm going to break some things down next week. And we're not going to get everywhere today. We don't have time. But here's the deal I, want, I, I think Revelation wants us to see. Revelation is inviting you and I to come and see Revelation 6. As we see these riders roll out to see the reality of human progress. It's an oxymoron. The human beings left to themselves cannot progress. We end up, we end up in devastation and dysfunction. We set out for utopia, but end up with dystopia every single time. And I believe this is trying to burst the bubble of human self-sufficiency. To realize, we've got to realize something, that human progress is a myth. It's a myth. Human self-sufficiency is a myth. With all due respect to John Lennon, Lennon, what the world needs is not to imagine all the people living for today. It's not going to do any better. We don't need blue to win the elections. We don't need red to win the elections. We don't need left. We don't need right. It's all the same thing. I remember a few weeks ago talking to one of my American friends after the first American presidential election that I watched five minutes of and couldn't watch anymore. And, and they, were, they were saying, wow, what a crazy, crazy time. Eh? And, and he said, 
Hopefully it's not like that in Canada. <laughs> and I said, you know what? Same circus, different tent. It's the whole same thing. Every human ideology in society is flawed. And given enough time, will end in ruin. Welcome to church. I hope you feel picked up and... No, but this is really important. And I'm trying to just ease some of the pressure here, but, but this, this is intense stuff. And it's because it's dead serious. Here's, here's what it's saying. Humanity and the world without divine intervention is destined for destruction. Period. And the church has got to recapture that fact because I, I dare say we have been drinking the Kool-Aid of the modern secular humanist gospel that says if we just get the right technology... If we just get the right policy, if we just get the right political leader, then everything's going to be all right. If we just get the right scientific discovery, if we just colonize Mars, then it's all going to be good. The Bible begs to differ. The Bible says as these, as these seals get open, it reveals the truth. The truth, the dose of the real world is this, that left to ourselves, we are hopeless. We need a savior and the kingdom has and needs a king. Human history has taught us this to be true. Every empire has fallen. And as technology and industry have have grown, so have the conflicts. And, and, and you know, actually, there's there's interesting. I I started a book um, back in the summer called Empire of the Summer Moon. It's about the rise and fall of the Comanche Empire. Why not, right? And so in the book, it talks about like the, the pioneering of the Western, you know, the West pioneer, uh, like the frontier and how the Americans kind of pushed westward and the conflict with the natives and all that is really terrible, really terrible. However, it, com- it, it confronts a, a myth that has arisen over the last couple hundred years, and that is the myth of the noble savage. There's this idea that there were civilizations before us that before white people and Western thought came along, they were getting along just fine and there was no war and there was no problems. However, that's not the truth. One of the things that, we've, that I found in this book was, you know what? People are people. And tribes fight against tribes and power corrupts and people are, are wicked and dark. And that is what this tells us. The scripture is trying to show us that left to ourselves, we will end in ruin every single time. And the Bible teaches us this. Genesis 1 tells us that God created us in his image, that he made us bear his image, and that he gave us a commission to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Do you know that we were made to conquer? We were made to conquer. We were made for progress. We were made to create. That's the God image inside of us. But something happened. The Bible tells us in, in Genesis 3, it says in Romans 1, it tells us that we, we traded the, the, the invisible God for images crafted in our own hands. And we began to worship the created instead of the creator. We got so magnified by, by things instead of the one who made them. And sin entered our story. And ever since sin entered the story, you see the same pattern and the same cycle of humanity. Humanity sees some progress. Empires rise and then they, they come with a great crash and a great fall. You see it in Genesis chapter 6. Humanity gets flushed out by a flood. You see it in in the book of Judges. It says that people were doing what was right in their own eyes only to find ruin until they called on God. You see it in the book of 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles. The troubles of people because we have sin inside of us. The problem of trying to seek the kingdom without the king. 
Probably the best picture of it is found in Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. The story goes that people learned how to create bricks. They'd, they'd invented certain technologies to, to, and they said, we're going to build a, a tower that reaches the heavens, kind of thumbing their nose at the creator. And the Bible tells us that God seeing human beings work together in such a way, he, he says that, it, the, the, the text says in Genesis 11 that, you know, they're going to be capable of anything. So we better go down, we better stop them right now. And now I used to read the Tower of Babel, and let me know if, if this is how you read it. I used to read it like, wow, was God intimidated by what we do? Was God scared of us? No, he was scared for us. The, 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 the story tells us that God came down and thwarted their efforts. Why? Because if they came together long enough, we would destroy ourselves. You see, God throughout the scripture and throughout human history has actually stopped a lot of bad things that we have created and brought upon ourselves because of his mercy. Like how many of you are thankful that God has stopped you from and saved you from yourself before? Saved you from that relationship. You wanted to marry her and he broke it off and now you're like, oh Lord, thank you. Right? God has saved us and God stops us from ourselves. And yet, when we get to Revelation chapter 6, this is the moment in a very real sense when God pulls the seals off. He is no longer holding back the full weight of the destructive nature of humanity and of creation. He's very much like in the words of C.S. Lewis saying, thy will be done. And tribulation unfolds and we get this Real world moment that happens to humanity. The bubble bursts and it speaks to the trajectory of human history. It ends in destruction and dystopia. That's the picture. That left to ourselves, this is where it's going. It doesn't matter who wins the election. It doesn't matter what we invent. It doesn't matter what we create. It doesn't matter what we legislate. Inevitably, because sin and wickedness and selfishness and brokenness is in the human heart, we will end off in destruction. And so it goes on, and we'll, we'll look at this in a little more depth in the weeks to come, but it, it talks about how the martyrs, the people of God, cry out for justice, and then God says, we're going to wait a little longer, and then we find as the sixth seal is open, the judgment day comes. It comes in its fullness, and it says, I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon was turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth. Now, some people have thought, you know, when this happens, ultimately, maybe it's talking about nuclear winter, perhaps, but don't miss the point today. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves. Notice where the kings are now. Notice where the powerful are. They're hiding in the caves. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and save us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? This real world moment. Now, the interesting thing is we've read Revelation chapter five and we know that actually the wrath of God was poured out on himself and so they are misappropriating the truth. They're calling on the mountains to save them when the lamb is there. But this points us to something. It points us to a truth. And this is really what I wanted to land on. This is really what I felt like was on God's heart. 
was wanting to get us to see this deeper revelation, this deeper truth, that, that history is leading to a final breaking point, that we're coming to this space and time. Like, like think about it, like uh, the hoofbeats of the four horsemen of the apocalypse are getting louder. Like the peaks and valleys of human conflict are getting greater, aren't they? Like I was doing a little research on, on uh, like human conflict and there has been more death toll in the last 200 years than there has been in all of human recorded history combined. Did you know that, that right now there are 3,400 active nuclear warheads on planet Earth that we know about? And those nuclear warheads aren't what were dropped in World War II. What was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki are a thousand times weaker than the stuff we have today. This stuff is insane and intense. This is escalating quickly. And left to ourselves, we are without a hope. And yet, Revelation points us to a great hope. Now, the good news is we get to skip to the end. And there aren't four writers in the book of Revelation. There aren't four writers in the apocalypse. There are five. It's just the first four came through the seals. But the fifth writer comes out at the end in Revelation chapter 19. Look what it says. It, it points to Jesus. And this is, I'll give you my point and then I'll read it to you. But Revelation invites us to come and see the authority, the capacity, the governance, the ability of King Jesus. The fifth horse brings utopia. Look at this. Revelation chapter 19 says, it comes near the end, it says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse. Again, the horse of victory, the horse of triumph, whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire. Remember Revelation chapter two? The eyes are blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself, a name all unto himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Whose blood? His. And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on a white horse and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nation. The sword of his word, the word of his power, the word of his truth. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury with the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his right thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, there is a fifth horse. There is a fifth rider. His name is Jesus. And if we had time, we look at Revelation 20. Do you know what Jesus does when he rides into the story? He rids us of Satan. He rids us of sin. He rids us of death. He sends it all away to the lake and he establishes the life and the, the, the society that you and I all long for. He brings utopia. Like all of us have this longing inside us. What is it even that makes you go on the news and, and grieve knowing that we were made for better? The Bible says that God has set eternity in the heart of man. King Jesus comes in at the end of the story, riding this horse of victory, establishing a new heaven and a new earth. It's his kingdom. It's his rule that brings ultimate peace. It's his rule that brings ultimate justice. It's his rule that brings forever healing and eternal life. It comes through Jesus. Revelation isn't merely pointing out the problem of human history. 
It's pointing out the solution and the resolution, and that is King Jesus. Revelation, at very least, is an invitation to bet your life on the right horse. To bet your whole life. We are people of the fifth horse. We are people who ride with Jesus. We don't trust, like the Bible says, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, some trust in politics, some trust in political leaders, some trust in legislation, some, tr- some trust in j- their own justice, some trust in technology, some trust in development, but we trust in the name of the Lord. We trust in Jesus. It's his kingdom we long for. It's his rule we long for. It's his reign we long for. We want him to rule the world. That's what the church longs for. That's what Revelation points out. You know, my my politics have been all over the place in the last handful of years. I never find uh, a political party or a platform that I really feel like I can hang my hat with because none of them are Jesus. I want Jesus to be president. I want Jesus to be prime minister. I want Jesus to be premier. I want Jesus to be governor. I want Jesus to be mayor. I want Jesus to be pastor. I want Jesus to rule. I want him to reign. Like like yesterday, I I went on Facebook, which I I don't do often because Facebook. And uh, I went on and and I was messaging my my home church. And before I got to messages, I I saw my brother posted a a speech from Barack Obama. And he just put, you know, now that's leadership and whatever. You you think what you want. But I I don't really care if it's Obama or Trump. I'm just over it. But then underneath in the comments, another one of my family members put, you know, it's, he, she put, let him, let him run the world, please. And I, and I get what she was saying. She's like, based on the options we have, he sounds pretty good. And I get what you're saying, you're saying but like my reaction was, please no. Please don't let Barack Obama run the world. Please don't let Elon Musk run the world. Please don't let Brent Ingersoll run the world. Please don't let Donald Trump run the world. Please don't let Justin Trudeau run the world. We want Jesus to run the world. And I believe this is a time in, in Christian history where God wants to wake up the church because we've been, we've been in bed too long with the culture. We've bought the secular myth. And most of us live, if we're honest, Trusting and hoping more in human news and civilization and development than we do Jesus. We were never meant to rule the world. Jesus rules the world. It's his governance we long for. This is what Isaiah 9 was talking about. This isn't, this isn't a Christmas passage, y'all. This is, a, this is a life passage. This is our Magna Carta. This is our constitution. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He has all wisdom. He knows just what to do. Mighty God, all-powerful. There's nothing he can't do. Everlasting Father, he will never run out, never run dry. He will never fail. Prince of Peace, he knows how to establish peace. This horse does not lead to conflict, he leads to peace. 
and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. There will be no end. It just keeps growing and going and growing and going. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with what? With justice and righteousness. In other words, all the things that we long for, all the things that the political left say we need, Jesus can fulfill. All the things that the political right say we need, Jesus can fulfill. He's the one who rules with truth and with grace. He's the one who is full of truth and justice and the one who is full of mercy and compassion and he can bridge them both. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus who can save America. It is Jesus who can save Canada. It is Jesus who can bring real equality. It is Jesus who can bring real unity. It is Jesus who can save Nigeria. It is Jesus who can bring real justice. It is Jesus who can establish lasting peace. It is Jesus who brings real prosperity. It is Jesus who gives us minds for ingenuity. All hail King Jesus. All hail his powerful name, Christians. Is your hope in Jesus? That's the simple message this week. Jesus is the hope of the world. And when you turn on the news and you hear those hoofbeats, you hear conquest, you see Donald Trump saying, we're going to make America great again. And you, you hear Joe Biden or you hear Justin Trudeau or whatever. You hear it and then you, you see the division happening and you see the destruction of the earth. You continue to deal with the pandemic. When you, when you start to feel dismayed, remind yourself our hope is not in politicians or policy. Our hope is not in human institutions or ingenuity. It's in King Jesus. It's in Christ alone. We hang our hope in him and on him and in him only. Let me, give you, let me give you three applications and then we'll pray because I know I, I'm ranting, but I feel like, like God wants you to wake up. Wake up. Here's a few thoughts. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak more about what it means, what it means to live the life of the kingdom and to see Jesus establish his king in the here and now because we believe that revelation is not about escape, it's about a heavenly invasion not about God whisking us off to, a, to some faraway never-never land. It's about him bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven in its fullness forever and ever. That's what this is about. And so we'll talk more about seeing that established next week. But, but, but really quick, because some of you want some, some tangible things. Let me just suggest this to you and I'll pray and we'll be done. First thing I think this tells us is we have to confront we have to confront the broken kingdoms and false progress around us and in us. Like, we need to reject the horse of human conquest and ingenuity. It only ever leads to conflict, inequity, oppression, devastation, and destruction every single time. That you can't have the kingdom without the king. You can't have heaven without Jesus. Number two, we have to contend for the establishment of the true kingdom and the true king. We have to hang all of our hope on Jesus. We have to be people who make way for the king in our lives. That's, that's what we do. We're heralds. 
We're stewards. We're apostles. We make way for the king. Number three, we must consecrate and call. Prepare ourselves and cry out for the quick return of the king. Because he's going to come when we're ready. He's got work to do in us. He's got work to do through us. Like he's not being slow to come because he's just being lazy. There is a purpose in his timing. But this should make us, like when you watch, like some of you, when you watch the debates, when you read the news, when you get the bad piece of news, it should make you say, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. That's our cry. That's our prayer. And we invite him to start in us. Where does the kingdom come first? Right here. Right here. Through these. Through this. Through these. The kingdom comes in and through us. We live lives that declare and proclaim the lordship of Jesus and we call for his quick return. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We thank you, Jesus, that your government, you have already taken your throne. We thank you that right now there is a lamb on the throne. There is a lamb on the throne, an all-powerful, all-knowing lamb on the throne, and you are currently ruling. And Lord, we thank you that as history unfolds and as the tribulation happens, both now and ultimately someday that you have predetermined, Lord, we thank you that we have confidence knowing that, Jesus, you are establishing your kingdom. Lord, would you teach your church how to make way for the king, how to prepare ourselves and consecrate ourselves for the day of your return. Lord, would you help us not get duped into getting our hopes in politics or policies, but God, would we be people of Jesus? Would we be more infatuated with Jesus, we pray. Lord, we pray what you taught us to pray when we say, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.